Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome this morning. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here at Milestone McKinney, and I am thrilled that you are here today. And as Alex said, each and every week is someone's first time. And uh, if this is your first time, I haven't had an opportunity to meet you. I look forward to meeting you after service. We're starting a new series. We're going to take the next couple weeks, do kind of like a little mini series called God is Love. We're actually going to look at a study of the book of 1 John. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. And so we're going to get there in just a minute. But I want to share with you something that, that I love. I know Alex touched on it just a little bit in relation to uh, young people's lives being impacted and people getting baptized uh, in a few weeks. But uh, we had uh, about 200 students between our Keller, Hazlitt, and McKinney campus, 200 fifth and sixth graders that went to kids camp. And it was just amazing to hear about all that God did. And I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of these young people. I'm so proud of you parents as you've prioritized time, whether it's middle school and high school camp, BBS, kids camp. Uh, something happens when people get in the presence of God and their lives are transformed. I was walking in today and my uh, 11 year old, almost 11 year old, you know, she's going to be in sixth grade. She's like, dad, I start school in 12 days. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I just kind of in one ear out the other. It's like, all right, that's kind of in two weeks, quasi. I'm sure Wendy's dialed into it a lot more than I am, you know, but then I was talking to someone else, another dad, they have a daughter the same age as ours. And He's like, yeah, they start school next Thursday. I was like, well, man, you put it that way. That's like right around the corner, like slow down. Can we slow time down? And I just want you to know how proud I am of you for being intentional about pursuing God. This summer has just been a summer of growing in our relationship with God. And the, at the beginning of the year, we said that the word for the year was grow. That we're going to create opportunities for intentionality, for you to grow, for you to grow at every age and season of life. It doesn't matter how young or how old. You don't have to wait to be great. If you're a young person, as an adult, you can be intentional and pursue and grow in your relationship with God. And so it's moments like that that we've seen. And so I'm just honored to be a part. I'm honored and excited to see all that God's doing, to hear the stories, and I'm just so proud of you, Milestone Church, for being intentional. Well, I want you to open up your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to get there in just a minute, and we're starting this series, and, and typically through the course of a year, we'll take a week or two at different moments through the year, and we'll look at God's character traits. We've talked about His mercy, we've talked about His grace, and, and you may wonder, why do we do this? Well, if you're going to grow in your relationship with God, you got to know who He is. You see, when, when you really want to learn about something, I don't know about you, but you get real dialed up about it. Whatever it may be. What is your thing? Maybe you're into baking. Not me. But if you are, I will eat whatever you bake, okay? Uh, it's like, you know, maybe you're into, I get into hiking. There was a season. I lived in Austin, Texas. I was born and raised there. We did a lot of hiking. Then I moved to Louisiana. You don't hike a lot because they have mosquitoes the size of vultures. So you're not outside too much, you know, in that kind of context. But being back in the great nation of Texas, doing a little more hiking and you get dialed up about it and you're learning these things and you're understanding that whatever it may be for you, maybe you're like, I prefer hobbies with an AC unit. Okay, well, whatever it is, okay, you decide, I want to learn and know more about those particular things. Well, I think it's indicative of how we set our focus and our attention. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important 
thing about us. You see, the truth of that statement is that it's not actually about God, it's about us. It's about how we see God, how we understand who God is. And it's so important that we get this right because as we see God, it really determines how we not only understand ourselves, but then it's also how we understand and relate to other people. Understanding who God really is and and how he works and and the thing that, that sets him apart from everyone else. This is too important for us to get wrong. That's why we take time to spend time to talk about the attributes and the character of God. That we we know more about him and we understand and discover who he is and and how he operates. So over the next couple of weeks we're going to talk about the thing that is the greatest and biggest thing about who God is. And you may wonder, well, is it that he's omniscient? He's omnipresent? Is it his power? Is it the fact that he was uncreated? He, he has always been. The reality is this. The greatest thing about God is his love. It's his love. Now, you may go, well, that's kind of obvious. Pastor Chris is pretty simple. But I think oftentimes we fail to realize the significance of his love. And there's a couple of reasons why, and we'll look at that today, and we'll understand and try and understand what that actually, where that comes from, and, and how we can learn and grow in that. But this is the greatest need that we all have. In fact, Proverbs 19.22 says this, what a person desires is unfailing love. You see, because we're made in his image, the deepest longing of every human is to be loved. We all want to be accepted. We all want to, to, to fit in. It, it's something that's significant. It's a part of who we are and how we're wired. Think about it. We've all experienced it in some form or fashion. I, I think back when I was in high school, you know, we kind of all experienced that. Maybe some of you, you're like, I'm trying to like not think about high school. Some of you, you're going into high school. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't. I mean, you know, you think about that season in your life. I think about me. I'm just going to be transparent. I mean, I'm not a real big guy as it is. So imagine me in high school, okay? I'm just going to be transparent. I was a late bloomer, okay? You know, maybe 5'5", five, five, all right? Maybe 125 pounds, you know, with like my backpack on. And But see, here was the thing. In my mind, in my heart, in my soul, I was about six foot three, two eighty. I was a, st- I mean, I was a defensive end. I, you know, I was just. But the problem was physically, that's not who I was, you know. And I grew up. I can remember like when I played like little league and stuff like that. It was like. You didn't have all these different teams, and, you know, you didn't have, again, no offense, any coaches out here, things like that. You know, we, we didn't get consolation prize. You didn't get a trophy for just playing. You just kind of, you either won or you didn't, okay? And it was like everything was just like you're just trying to find where do I fit in? Where am I accepted? I can remember even in band, sixth grade, I'm in middle school. I decided, you know what? I think I got a little musical touch on my life. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to be in the band. Why not? My dad was in the band. He played trumpet. I'm like, okay. You know. And so they asked me, what, what instrument do you want to play? There was only one choice for me. I was like, drums. Give me drums. I'm like, you know, I like that. I'm passionate. You need to get after it, you know. And I'm just like, I'm excited. So I go in and I sit across from the band teacher, Miss Grzynski. She was about five foot two. She made me feel tall. And she like, you know, just kind of an older uh, lady with gray hair. She kind of looked like the, 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 the little grandma on the cookies, you know. And she had the glasses. And, but she's intimidating. I'm not going to lie. I was a little scared of her, okay. And, and so she's sitting in front of me. She said, son, what instrument do you want to play? I said, I want to play drums. She said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tap. 
on the table. I was like, got this, man. This is easy. I'm going to, yeah, future. Now I want you to tap your foot. So I'm, I'm getting after it. Now I close, I mean, I'm in it, right? I'm just going. I'm like, you know, this is it. I feel like Neil Pert. You know, I'm just saying, you know who that is. Some of you don't. You know, I'm just getting after it, you know, and, and she, okay, 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 okay. She stops me. I'm like, man, all right. She's like, do that again. I was like, man, I was so good. She asked me to do it again. So I'm getting after it. Man, I'm going, I'm going. And she goes, oh, okay, Chris, Chris, stop. Okay, let's try that one more time. I thought like, I mean, already in my mind, first chair, drummer. I don't even know if drummers have first chair, if that's a thing. But that's what I was in my mind. I'm the best of the best. She asked me third time. I'm thinking, I am so good. She wants me to do this three times for her. So I started going again, and I wasn't that far into it. I was like, maybe she's convinced already how great I already am. She said, okay, okay, stop, son. Okay. She said, Chris, is there an, another instrument that you would like to play? So I played saxophone for two years in, high, in, in middle school. She said, you just don't have the rhythm down just, just yet, you know. And so you think about, whether it's moments like that, think about times in your life where you're trying to find, where do I fit in? How am I accepted? What are the things? You see, this is the thing that we're all longing for. We all want to fit in. We all want to be accepted. We all want to connect. But the reality is this, that how we try to earn and receive love, it shapes us at the deepest level. Now, I grew up in a great home. My mom and dad, they were here last week. I'm very grateful for them. But there was something that began to happen to me in high school where I felt like there was this need that I had to perform and to execute in order to be accepted and liked and loved. But the challenge in that is that began to shape how I began to receive things at the deepest level, how I began to understand what acceptance and love was really like. And as a culture, we don't really do this very well. Think about it. When was the last time you talked to someone and you said, how is it going? And they're like, it's great. I mean, everything's awesome and amazing. And I just can't wait to get up in the morning and just tackle the day. Now, many of you are like, man, man, how's it going? I don't even got words. You know, it's like the word that I think of when you think about where many people in culture are is languishing. Feeling as though you always come up short, you're never going to measure up. That is the prevailing emotion that most people feel. You're just overwhelmed and you're depleted. And the thing is that there's this uptick in feeling the pressure of all of those things. And so what begins to happen is because we're pursuing acceptance and love, we end up falling into the trap of being a part of every other country song. You're looking for love in all the wrong places. And what begins to happen is we start putting our attention on things that we think are going to fulfill us. They're going to satisfy the acceptance and the love that we're looking for, but they all come up short. You see, here's a challenge. What, whatever you decide is the thing that can, de- that can deliver that love, that acceptance, that significance, that approval. That's the thing you begin to move towards. That's the thing that you begin to focus on. This is why that we see the, that we need to see this correctly. This is why this is so important. Because when we don't see it correctly, we begin to move towards things that we'll never be able to satisfy. You see, you think, well, if I just love those things, that's what's going to satisfy. But none of those things can love you back. 
no matter the job title, the position, no matter the amount of money, the material thing. Listen, I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you shouldn't grow in your profession. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be a good steward with resources and save. I'm not saying it's bad for you to have these different things that you've worked hard for. But when we look to those things to satisfy us, to make us feel accepted and loved, we'll always come up short. We'll never experience the measure of love that God always intended for us to experience. Because those things don't have the power to love us back. They don't. And so we're looking at the words of John here. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 4. And what begins to happen is we begin, John is writing here. And, and John is a disciple of Jesus. He's a friend of Jesus. In fact, what I love about John, John nicknames himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Nowhere else in the Gospels is John described as the disciple whom Jesus loves, except in the book of John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, none of them call John, they just call him John. But in the book of John, John says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. So that just lets you know how he sees himself, what he thinks about himself. He was enamored with love, this aspect of love. In fact, when you look within the Gospels, the word love shows up 39 times in the book of John. In his first letter, there's three letters John writes. Uh, first, second, and third John. In just the first letter, it shows up 23 times. The other gospels, the word love only shows up 18 times. He was so focused on this aspect, this principle, this attribute of God called love. And so John goes on and he's writing here. And, and John, probably one of the most famous verses is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but... 1 John 3.16 is equally as impactful. In fact, it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John was absolutely captivated by the love of God. And as he's writing here, his letters in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's writing, and his letters are written symphonically, meaning they build. They kind of hit on, it, on, a, on a topic, and then they kind of pull back a little bit, and then they come back around to that topic to reinforce a principle. And that's what John's doing here. He's wanting to reinforce this principle to us as we look at 1st John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 7, and here's what it says. Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. So right here, he starts off, and we recognize we're not the source of love. Willpower or feelings are not enough. Genuine love comes from God. We can't manufacture it. We don't get to define it. He defines what love is. He defines it. Going on, the rest of verse 7 says, For everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So what's the test of someone really knowing God? What is that test? See, sometimes we can feel as though, man, I don't, I don't really know God. I don't know him in that way because we don't really understand what's the test of actually knowing God. Is it their intellect? Is it their experience? Is it their family history? Is it their title? No. The actual thing that defines whether or not someone knows God is can you genuinely, genuinely see the love of God in them? 
That's what John is saying here. Why? Because love is not one of God's character traits. It's actually who he is. Love is, is who God is. So when we try and redefine in our own words what love is, we're, just, we're not just simply reimagining this quality. If we're not careful, what we're trying to do is redefine who God is. That's dangerous. So right here, John is laying the foundation. Here's what love is. God is love. And you know God when you experience God and you love and you, and you experience the love of God, you begin to know him in a significant way. Verse 9 continues on and it says, this is how God shows love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. You see, God's love is not a feeling. It's not theoretical. It's not abstract. It's costly. It's sacrificial. It's more than just simply uh, uh, just this, this, this feeling that we may have. It's really the fact that he gave his son. He sacrificed and it was costly. It was something that he invested into. It was an invitation. You see, he's inviting every single one of us to experience the love of God. He's inviting every single one of us to experience his presence and that love. And that's significant because we can all experience that. It's not simply dialed into how much do you know, what are your experiences, how good are you, where did you come from? Because here's what he continues to say in verse 10. This love is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So just to be clear, love is not what we do for God. It's not what we do for God. What I love about God is God went first. He sent his son. So on your worst day, he still loves you. Oh, well, Chris, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. Well, newsflash, you don't know who I am or what I've done. On my worst day and on your worst day, God still loves you. He still has a plan and a purpose for you. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to try and go back and fix your past. God's love and plan and purpose is solidified for you in the fact that he loves you. He has a plan and purpose for you. On your worst day, he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he has a plan for you. It's not anything that you can do to kind of fabricate it, to make it happen. This, this speaks to that performance issue, that aspect. Like I told you about my own self. Maybe you grew up that way. Doing everything, you, if I just worked hard, my coaches will love me. My parents will love me. If I just did this, if I excelled here, if I get good grades, if I get the, into the right school, if I do the right thing, if I get the right job, all these things, we're trying to perform, we're trying to execute, we're trying to acclimate and trying to gather this love and acceptance from God that none of that equates to God's love is for you because he loves you, period. Why? Because God is love. And then he wraps up this little section of scripture, verse 11. says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, that's really where it's made complete, but that's where it can get tricky. And so we're going to talk about that next week. But before we can get on to that, we've got to first lay this foundation. We've got to understand what this looks like. And we have to recognize that 
our deepest longing is to be loved. But if this is our deepest longing, why is it so hard to experience God's love? I don't know about you, but for me, even though I grew up in a godly home, it can be hard to experience God's love. Well, why is that? Well, the first reason could be we feel disqualified. Maybe the way you grew up, maybe the environment you grew up in, maybe your, your parents, things that they said or did, ways they interacted with you, things that leaders or authorities in your life may have said or done causes you to feel as though you're not good enough, you're not qualified enough. And so we feel disqualified. Can I tell you something? Jesus loves to draw close to the disqualified. He's not looking for your qualification. He's not looking to see if you're good enough or well enough to receive his love. He loves you regardless. So sometimes it's hard to receive God's love because we feel disqualified. Sometimes it's because we are in that trap of feeling as though we need to earn it. If I'm just a good person, I do all the right things, I go to church, I check that box, I try to provide for my family, I try to be the best mom or dad, I try to be the best son or daughter, I try to work hard, I try to be generous, I try to serve, I try to do all of those things. But you cannot earn God's love. Because then what begins to happen is the reason we perhaps have a hard time experiencing his love is because then we take it for granted. We fail to realize the gift that it actually is, and so we, we aren't able to, to really embrace it in its fullness because we assume that there's something else that's better. But here's the thing about God. You see, God's love is his greatest attribute. It's who he is, but it's also our greatest need. I want you to think about that. Your greatest need is his love, but the way in which God set it all up in his wisdom, infinite wisdom and design, it's also his greatest attribute. The very thing that you need the most is wrapped up and found in the greatest attribute of who God is. I'm reminded of that in my own life. I've shared with you, and even as I shared with you earlier, you know, feeling this, this lie and this deception that I had to just work so hard to be accepted be in the in crowd or do this or get into the right school or whatever it may be. And so it dictated how I lived my life before I knew Jesus. Well, then at 19 years old, I gave my life to Christ. And now I've been serving him for over 20 years. And at 19, I went into full-time ministry. So this is all I've known for over 20 years, serving God, building the kingdom, preaching the gospel. But even after that, even after serving him, for almost 10 years, there was a season in my life where I felt like, why? there's something that I feel is missing. What is that? And I failed to realize that I hadn't fully embraced what it looked like to experience the love of God. Now, I had experienced God's love. I knew that he loved me, but there was something that I had to walk in freedom from and overcome. You see, I was still in that performance-driven nature, that trap of feeling as though if I just work hard enough and I just do good. Well, for me as a pastor, here's what was happening. Well, if I preached really good, if I served, if I was available to any person that needed counsel or if I could just help and if I just do all these things. Why? Because here's what was happening. I was viewing God as a boss that I needed to impress rather than a heavenly father that just simply wanted to love me. You can't earn it. It is a love that he has for you that he wants to pour out on you. And when you do, it transforms you just like it transformed me. 
So what happens? How does that work? What, what happens and how does God's love change us? Well, the first way is this. God's love makes us whole. It makes us whole. This is God's desire for us, wholeness. There's a story in the Gospels of 10 lepers that come, ask Jesus to heal them. And so Jesus heals them. They all leave. And one of those lepers comes back and thanks Jesus. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. You see, all 10 were healed, but only one was made whole. God wants you to not only experience freedom, he wants you to experience wholeness. This is the thing that we long for. It's the thing that we want. We all want wholeness. I'm reminded of the longing that we want to be whole and to be full. When I think of this one thing, there's one thing that can, I mean, you want to talk about just divide a family. I mean, full-on pit family member against family member. I mean, Hunger Games style. I mean, you're just going at each other. It's no holds bars. It's when someone in the family sees this on their device. All of a sudden, the tensions rise. Everyone's, it's like, I need the charger. I need this. I need, no, I need it. I need it. I mean, it, they were, I don't care. It, blood is not thick enough, you know. It's like, and so you start, why? Because everyone is looking for that one little charger, that cable that can seemingly solve all their problems. Why? What are they looking for? They want it to be full. You know, I thought of this. It reminded me there's a restaurant in Austin, Texas called El Arroyo. If you've ever seen church signs, you have church signs. But El Arroyo has been doing signs for, since 1975. But I saw this sign, and how appropriate is this? Sibling relationships are weird. I'd give you my kidney, but don't touch my charger. How true is that? As funny and as true as that is, why is it so true? Because we're all looking for connection. We're all looking to be filled back up. That's what we want. And we live in a society and in a culture that is so depleted, running on empty, because we don't realize that the very place in which we find the ability to get filled back up and made whole is in the presence of God when we experience his love. Nothing else will fill us up. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will meet that need. We have to receive God's love. And when we do receive his love, it makes us whole. It makes us whole. So how do we receive it? You're like, all right, Chris, that's great, awesome. How do I receive God's love? Well, the same way you take your phone and you plug it in every single night to fill it back up to full, to recharge on a regular, consistent basis, guess what? It's the same thing you need to do in your relationship with Jesus. You see, some of you grew up in a heritage where it was all about religion. It was your works. It was the things you do. How did you perform? How did you execute? Religion is about man trying to get to God. Relationship is about God coming to man. It is a relationship. Well, just like in any relationship, you have to connect on a regular basis. Well, how do you do that? First, within his word. Read the word of God. Get into the word of God. Read his word. You start learning and discovering who he is. There are so many tools out there. You're like, well, Chris, when I read it, I don't really understand it. I mean, the Bible app, you can listen to it. There's commentary. There's devotions. You can just, you can dial into just one scripture a day. And if you'll just do that, you'll start to get to know him and connect him in a greater way that guess what? You're going to want to spend more and more time with him, which is in the second way in which we receive God's love. It's by talking to him, spending time with him, being in his presence. 
praying. And then lastly, worship. But, but not worship just from the standpoint of singing songs. That's well and good. That's awesome. We, we love that. But it's, it's about actually surrendering to God. Worship is really coming back to the principle of going, I'm putting him first. I'm putting him first. God, I'm worshiping you by putting you first. I'm making you the priority each and every day. Because when we experience God's love and it makes us whole, here's the second thing that happens. God's love makes us free. It makes us free. We all have sin in our life, things and issues that all have a root. And the reality is this. The problem that we have is is not just a sin problem. Really what it is is a love problem. Experiencing God's love. Because when we experience God's love, you begin to experience freedom at a level that you would otherwise never have. It brings freedom in your life. You see, underneath our bad choices, our character flaws, all our coping mechanisms is fear. All that is is fear. But you can't willpower your way through fear. You can't intellect your way through fear. You can't gain and acclimate enough information to overcome fear. In fact, John writes, as he continues in chapter 4, in verse 18, he says this, Therefore there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, at the end of the day, the reality is we're going to do what we feel like doing. You are. You're going to do what you want to do. I've learned that. Being around people for as long as I have, people are just going to do what you, what, what you, what you want to do. But when you understand God's love and the freedom that it brings, what begins to happen is this. When you understand that, that motivation is the only motivation that will lead you into freedom. It's the only motivation that will lead you into freedom. I think this past weekend, I'm reminded of this because this past weekend we uh, had Freedom Weekend. And you may say, what is Freedom Weekend? Well, Freedom Weekend, Freedom is a nine-week small group. And so there were over 400 people between Keller, McKinney, and Hazlitt that came together. We had four groups out here, and it was amazing to hear the stories of life change and impact in the individuals' lives out here in McKinney. I'm so proud of them. Some of our leaders even that weren't even leading necessary freedom groups went out there, and they were praying over individuals. And people were experiencing freedom. I mean, you can see right here, people are coming. They're writing things down in which they want to be set free from and putting on a piece of paper, tearing it up, and laying it at the foot of the cross. People are experiencing freedom, being overwhelmed with God's love. I had the opportunity and privilege to be there Friday night and speak to them and to see and watch what God was doing in people's lives. It is freedom that we want to experience. It's freedom that we need. But where does that come from? It comes from experiencing God's love. And here's what happens. Every individual that I've ever met that has experienced freedom at this level, can I tell you what they end up wanting to do? They end up wanting to lead more freedom groups. They end up wanting to be involved. They end up going down and driving 45 minutes just to pray over people and pray for people during the course of a weekend. Why? Because they want people to experience the same level of freedom they have experienced in their own life. You see, God's love brings freedom. And when we experience that freedom, because we've been made whole, here's what happens. God's love makes us more like him. It makes us more like him. God's love impacts us, and it it transforms us, and and it shapes us. We don't get the right to define 
what love is any more than we get the right to define who God is. We don't, we don't like it when people try and define who we are, but it's amazing how we'll try and define who God is. God is love. He sets the standard. He's the one that defines what it looks like. He's the one that sets it in place. Love is not whatever you want it to be. God is love. You see, in chapter 1, John says, anyone who says that they don't have sin is a liar. But we don't keep walking in darkness. We move towards the light. In fact, chapter 3, just before this chapter in chapter 4, it talks about becoming more like Jesus. You see, when you've experienced God's love, what begins to happen is it changes you. It transforms you. You want people to experience it. And, and you want them to experience that same freedom, that same measure of wholeness. And you become a reflection of the love of Christ to other people. But here's what I've learned. Even thinking back on Freedom Weekend, it's hard because there's a lot of pain associated with love. There's a lot of pain associated with God. Because we haven't fully understood, one, who God really is, but two, because of the things that we've experienced in our life and not fully understanding the love of God, because of the things people have said or done to us, it in turn taints how we experience God's love. And in the same hand, then in turn, it taints how we interact with God and how we interact with other people. You know, I, I spoke to all those in attendance at Freedom on Rejection. And rejection is interesting because oftentimes rejection we don't realize is really the root of the problem that we have, the challenges that we are experiencing. You see, you see a lot of fruit that's out there, how, how we cope with and try and overcome rejection. But God's heart and his intent was never to reject you. It's always been to love you. But for many of us, rejection has been the prevailing experience in life. You may have experienced rejection because of loss. Maybe your parents got divorced. Maybe a loved one that you cared for passed away. You experienced rejection because of the things and the words that people said about you. You experienced rejection in a passive way because parents seemingly were more concerned about their job, their hobbies or their profession and you felt overlooked and passed by. You may have experienced rejection because of the things that even friends did to you, bullying and, and things like that that you didn't even realize. And so you just continued to fight to try and fit in. And you may think, wow, well, you know, no, I'm, I'm past that, Chris. You know, that, that's where my kids live or that's where young people live. No. If you have a hard time embracing God's love, it's actually where you're still living. But you can experience freedom today by experiencing God's love like never before.